What's up, everyone? On today's episode of the Mishmash Podcast, my guest is Dr. Kristen Sticko, Chief of Clinical Pathology at Mount Sinai South Nassau Hospital, and just an all-around ass-kicker. Sorry, the professionalism just went right out the window. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us today. You're so welcome. It's like so great to like do one of these. I, you know, I've always wanted to do like a podcast, but you know, it's just never kind of come up on like the board lately. Yeah, <laughs> I think no, I think it's packed enough. But like, yeah, this is awesome. So thank you. Yeah, no, this is good. Now, I know, just so you know, this call is being yeah. recorded for training purposes. Everything you say Wonderful. can and will be used against you in a court of law. And of course, great. Cops is filmed on location before a live studio audience. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, I'll just make sure I make note of that. That's it. See, and now I feel like I, I should read you your Miranda rights, but I'm pretty sure you've always been more of like a carry girl with like a splash of Samantha. Is that correct? Is that pretty much? Pretty much. You don't have to. You don't. Have, that's really funny. That's it. Yeah. No, listen, that I told a, that was good. I'm, that I'm, was good. I'm bringing the A game today. Um, you should. So. Just to start off more on the yeah. uh, the professional foot, because this is going to go off the rails real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. What is your specific area of study or what is it that you're doing right now professionally over at Mount Sinai? Okay, so I'll just kind of like go into like a little bit. So I am by training a pathologist. And so that means I, I went to medical school. I did all of medical school. And then I went to what we do is we do residency training for four years and we study disease process and also not just disease process, but we also study just pathophysiology, which is basically the way your body works and the way your cells work. And so I just wanted to give like a background to that because I think that when people hear like pathologists are like, you live in the basement and you must look at dead bodies all day. And it's, that's not what we do. No, that's just for fun. (laughs) It's just for fun. And it's only on weekends. No, I'm just kidding. So right now what I do is My main field of expertise, I have two, and one of them is called hematopathology and the other one's transfusion medicine. But I'm also boarded in anatomic pathology, which is basically the study of everything like in your body that's like tissue, like, for example, your heart, your lungs, etc. And then I'm also boarded in clinical pathology, which is like the study of your blood. And like when you get like, for example, you go to the doctor and you get your blood drawn and the doctor rambles off numbers to you. Oh, like, yeah, your blood's fine. Your iron is low. That's kind of what we, that's what we call clinical pathology. Like the study of like the more of like the sanguinous things like your blood and like, you know, your electrolytes, like your potassium, sodium, things like that. So I use all of that. And being the chief of clinical pathology, I basically run the clinical labs uh, in a hospital. So that means that I am in charge of the chemistry department, the hematology, which is like the study of your blood. I'm in charge of transfusion medicine, which is we give out blood products to those who need it. Like, for example, if you need a transfusion and then, you know, also I like I manage um, I manage all the people in those departments. So it's really like I, I use all of the knowledge that I have to kind of make sure that all the patients at the hospital are getting their blood work safely. And also we're doing the right thing for them. So it's like a quality management thing. And also I'm managing the people in my lab. So making sure that my technicians are happy. <laughs> and also making sure that they're doing the right thing as far as like when they get the blood, everything is safe. Everything has the right name on it, things like that. So it's I'm encompassing everything into like sort of this like one role. So it's really fun. And then on the side, I do I do read bone marrows and I look at 
blood samples and things like that too. So, so I mean, that's, that's basically a nutshell. No, that's <laughs> that's incredible. It's and it's quite a number of hats that you seem to be wearing yeah. all at once. Uh, yes. Aside from that, uh, the the pet taxidermist, right? Mm-hmm. I love it. Absolutely. I love wearing Absolutely lab the coats. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> now, so is there any overlap in terms of not cancer research per se, but mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of cancer oriented stuff? Because I remember back in the day, that was something that mm-hmm. you were passionate about. And I was just curious if your path took you in that direction or if that is part of what you're doing now. Yeah. So I'm just going to like back up like a couple of steps. Like before I decided to transition to Mount Sinai, um, uh, South Nassau, I was working at an ancillary hospital where I was doing pediatric uh, leukemia and lymphoma. So part of my job, especially since I am still, I, I am still wearing the hat of a hematopathologist, is diagnosing blood disorders. Like, for example, like if you have too many of a certain cell, that's not good. That's something like I would take care of. Or, for example, if like, you have a special type of anemia that's not just, you know, run-of-the-mill anemia, but something that needs, for example, you need to take a bone marrow biopsy and look at the type of cells that are in your marrow. That's something I still I still do. And so that's actually one of my big interests, and it still will continue to be there. So, yeah, I still do that. And it's part of my daily day-to-day activities. That's great. And one of the yeah. things that fascinates me yeah. In terms of, well, so just to to backtrack a little bit, uh, for anybody who's listening for the first time or whatever, I've been trying to do sort of a deep dive into um, women leaders uh, in the sciences and different areas that are not traditionally, I don't want to say represented, but whatever, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. And so I was, I'm always curious about the path that leads Uh people to the the places that they are now. And it sounds like you're pretty well ensconced in you know, where you are, it doesn't sound like a a transitory sort of position. Is this specifically what you envisioned for yourself going into, let's say, undergrad or like how, what was the path educationally that led you to this uh, particular job that you have? Yeah, that's actually like really interesting because like when I was, so I went to, I went to Stony Brook. I went, I was part of like the women in science and engineering program there, which was awesome. So when I was there, I, you know, I saw myself originally, I was probably, more, my brain was more towards, I guess, research at first. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to be like a researcher, going to be a cancer researcher. I did like, I did research when I was in high school on, on Taxol, which was like crazy when I think about it. Um, so I, I really knew I was going to go to the field of, of some, somehow doing the field of oncology, like the study of cancer, but I just didn't know how. And my mind changed like a bunch of times. And I think that's like totally normal. And everyone's mind should change about a billion times before they settle in on what they want to do. Because I think that's a normal way of your, you know, yourself saying, I got to figure things out before I'm comfortable in my skin and I'm comfortable with the decision in my career. So in undergraduate, I definitely wanted to do that. I studied biochemistry, which is more molecular, like the nitty gritty of things than, than anything. And I think that's what led me to study medicine. But when I went to med school, I didn't have my sights set 100% on pathology at first, which is interesting. I I actually did family medicine before pathology, which I was, you know, a clinician full time in Long Island. And then I switched to over to pathology. And I think it's just because I was really just still interested in disease process. And I knew 
there was some frustrations I had while I was a family practitioner, which came to light, which I found that maybe I could do better or maybe myself would be served better in that clinical field where I could manage how people get information better. So that's kind of where it all led to. And I'm very happy with where I am now. I think I, I wouldn't have been happier in anything else in my life doing what I'm doing now. No, that's it's so amazing to hear that. And it's kind of cool also to know that like, so when I was in high school, I was yeah. so stressed out because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had like a really mm-hmm. narrow window of, you know, of interests and whatnot. But it's kind of reassuring to hear that you didn't necessarily wind up exactly where you thought you would either. Like you had the path laid out, right? But then you've kind of, I mean, you've always been really flexible and adaptable. So that I'm um, sure helped along the way. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's part. Yeah. That's part of it too. <laughs> I now, if I, if memory serves me, weren't you the valedictorian of your high school? Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Well, well I mean, I'm just saying I was the valedictorian of my elementary school and I'm pretty sure that I mean, we had the same exact awesome. amount of kids graduating with us, except mine was like fifth grade and yours was your entire high school. I, I, I think it was, we had like 60 kids or 70 kids in that fifth grade graduating class. Do you, do you remember yeah. what it was for, for Martin Luther? For my graduating class? Yeah. It was like, Oh my God. It was something 12. small. Yeah. It was like 12 like kids. 12. <laughs> I think it was, I don't know. I swear it was like maybe like 40. I have no idea anymore. <laughs> I knew it was like uber small. Cause like now it's funny. I see my, I see my daughter's class and I'm like, she has a hundred kids in like her, in her first grade in total. And I'm like, Oh my God. I had a hundred kids in like my whole school in high school, (laughs) which is really funny though, because, and, and by the way, not, not to humble brag for the two of us, but just a shout out to the two of us here being from Brooklyn and Queens now living in New Jersey and Long Island. I'm pretty sure the accents are not really shining through here. I think we sound (laughs) cogent and eloquent. I don't know. I think we sound great. You know, honestly I do. And I haven't really heard any, um, you know, I haven't really, I haven't spoken about the coffee or anything yeah. like that yet, but I, I do. I think we sound very professional right now. I'm trying to enunciate all my letters as best as possible for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, for me, I, I became really self-aware and self-conscious of it when Heather and I started the Honors College because yeah. now we were meeting kids. Well, it wasn't so much the, the other students, but we were interacting yeah. with people from all over yeah. and we would go yeah. to all these like fancy gala things and stuff. And I'm like, I'm listening to, to these people speak and I was just like oh my god i sound like you know an oaf so uh, i've learned to uh to mask it as best i could and it does help i don't i don't think the brooklyn slash queen's accent really jives well with you know higher tier vocabulary to begin with so i I, I agree i agree (laughs) i agree (laughs) just kidding (laughs) no well I, i i don't know if i told you this but i started accruing a translation for people because even in Jersey, like not everybody understands what it's like to be from Brooklyn or Queens, you know? And so I was like, Oh, if I can come up with a dictionary where I could translate for people, you know, what these words mean, right? Like the word custody, for example, you've, you've, what, what does custody mean to you? Custody? Yeah. Custody. I mean, I mean, it means like, you know, to have sole ownership of, I guess, like in, in, quick words like sole ownership of like i have custody of my child right but if you're from brooklyn right that's how you would describe the texture of a boston cream donut right because it's it's just it's really custody you know like it's, it's really custody yeah brochure is another one right a brochure most people yeah. think of you know in terms of like a travel agency or whatever but it's actually the yeah. only acceptable response when one bro asks another bro if he wants to go to the gym 
Oh, sure. Yeah, oh so my God. That's, yeah. <laughs> and then l- listen, l- a little history lesson for, for yeah. our listeners here. I'm pretty sure that it was two bros that discovered the island that's on the other end of the Verrazano. I'm pretty certain, I can picture it, that they were on a boat out, you know, middle of the ocean. <laughs> and all of a sudden they see this little spit of land. And the more observant of the two taps the other one and goes, bro, Staten Island? And that was it. So. Oh, I think so. Yeah, you know, I, and I remember Staten Island very well. It's, yeah, I mean, I mean that—that's—that's that's the place, man. Oh my God, it's—it's it's something. <laughs> oh, it's something else. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, to deep dive then into the history. Yeah. So, what was it like growing up in the wilds of Queens? Like, what were you doing Queens. during your, your childhood when you weren't grabbing turtles by the tail? Right. And, you know. <laughs> I. You know. <laughs> you know let's just reference that for a minute. The turtle I was grabbing was my um, snapping turtle, which is basically a small dinosaur. And I had two of them growing up. And let me tell you the names because it's a very interesting cuff and link. And, you know, besides that, like, so we lived in Mastiff, Queens. And besides playing with turtles, which I would not recommend because they are, they can become humongous. We would basically be told to leave the house and come back at dinner. I think I was like 10 or 12 when this started happening and and we would take our bike. I mean, I say we, because I did drink, I did bring my sister along with me. We would take our bikes and we would just roam aimlessly. And I think, I think it was like so cool because not only, you know, did you have to learn how to swerve oncoming traffic, but it really, it just, it gave you like so much freedom to do, you know, whatever the heck you wanted. I mean, and besides that, let's see what else. What else did I do? I mean, we would make tents in our backyard and not come inside. And my mother would not know where we were. I mean, it was like hysterical. I I mean, I loved growing up in Queens. And then plus, like, people just were like, they were just so cool and chill. I don't know. It was there's an ambiance about Queens. No, I, I can pick, shout out to, to Denise and shout out to Melissa, your, uh, your sister. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that that explains a lot, actually, where Mimi is concerned. Um, and poor Denise, I, I I can also picture the two of you like hiding on her, right, and then like leaping out and giving the poor woman a heart attack just for fun. Like, oh yes, yes, absolutely. The poor woman has been subjected to torture my whole life. <laughs> right, and you, and I'm sure you enjoyed playing real life Frogger over on Cross Bay Boulevard, which is you know, absolutely. Ju- Come uh, on, you know. Yeah, oh, of no. course. So we had Flatbush Avenue, which had like seven lanes of traffic, yeah. and that really wasn't so much Frogger as much as it was just trying, <laughs> just trying to survive. You know, just five, making sure you were coming, you weren't becoming a fly on said window windshield. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, <laughs> a, a splat on uh, on somebody's windshield. Now, yeah. did Melissa go into a medical field as well? Because I remember she was sort of like, I don't know, yeah, ex- exploring that realm as well. Yeah, Mimi, Mimi, I'm sorry, I have to call her Mimi because that's that's who how I refer to her. Um, so Mimi went into she went into sports like uh, she went into sports or sports or athletic training, and then from there she became a registered nurse. She does wound care, and now I believe now what she does is she's the administrator. She's like one of the administrative nurses at um, a wound care center in Connecticut. So. She did go into the medical field a little bit different than I did, but, you know, definitely, definitely what she always had interest in. So kudos to to that lady. Right. And she she was like the uber athlete, too. Right. Because I remember she was on the swim team or a swim team. 
Yeah, she died. She dove. She dove for like most of her time at um, I think Southern Connecticut. So yeah, she was always very, very like athletic. I always thought like she was going to. I always thought she was going to do something with that, which she did. So she she went into athletic training, which is like awesome for her. But yeah, that's another. That was another like. She's very happy. So good move in that direction for her. So yeah, and and. Awesome. Sp- so speaking of, right, so your mm-hmm. husband is, is he yeah. a hand surgeon or what is He's his? He's vascular. He's vascular. Oh, vascular. Okay. Yeah. And then Mimi's husband is, he's not involved in the medical field at all, right? Not at all. So Mimi's husband is in computers. So not like completely opposite, like nothing to do with medicine. So yeah, two, two opposite kind of, <laughs> two opposite spectrum, which is like good because I mean, at least... At least you can, you know, sometimes I will tell you like conversations become like, so what kind of wound did you, what kind of wound did you debride today (laughs) Uh, over dinner? And like our children are looking at us like, what, what was I born into? Well, but no, it's funny you say that though, because that's actually, that's where I was heading with the question was because you and Mimi didn't grow up. So with certain fields, right? Like I feel like there's a lot of mirroring. So like, I'm sure you remember Lost, right? From back in the day, Jack Shepard, right? So Jack's dad was a surgeon. So he, it it became the family business and whatever. But for you girls, that wasn't, that wasn't the case, right? There was no, no, in terms of coming into that, I find it interesting for, you know, your kids, um, respectively, that they are going to grow up in this environment. And so it'd be interesting to see if that ignites a passion for them in the field. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I'm always fascinated in terms of the motivations um, yeah. for that. Cause it just seems cool. Like, you know, it's, it's an atypical journey to go on. And obviously you've always been like ridiculously bright and, and excelling at school and stuff. So that helps with that, but still like mm-hmm. there needs to be that impetus to, to, or the catalyst rather to drive you towards a, a, a lot of schooling right and then a very demanding <laughs> your whole life job yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's it, that, that is really interesting because my husband's the same thing both of his parents are teachers oh wow and so it's a very and all of his siblings are in the medical field so it's a very a it is very atypical and I have no idea like where I really feel like sometimes in those situations I have to like be ingrained somewhere like something has to I don't know where it comes from but something has to spark something had to spark at an early age. Uh, I'm not really sure where I can pinpoint that, but um, I know that from like looking at my daughter, my daughter looks at me, she's like, yeah, I like looking at your um, slides, but I don't think it's for me. (laughs) Oh, okay. And then my, my son, who's three and a half, who, you know, he goes, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. It's all good. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So, I mean, I think also things change as they see how you act. So, You know, again, like, I think it's all, it is all mirroring. And the thing I have to say is being a mom and being a doctor, uh, there's totally a lot of stress around it. It's better now, I think, but you have to be aware of how you perceive your stress level to your children, because that can make a huge difference in like where they go. 
oh. like or how, what they perceive your field as. So hundred percent. And I actually spoke yeah. with um, one of my recent guests, who's a physical therapist, yeah. about that yeah, about yeah. the the challenge of you know being a mom and then being yeah. in a, a highly demanding field. I mean, obviously, there's the physical toll. You know, you're on your feet a lot. Uh, I would imagine when you're in the basement with all the blood, you're fending off vampires, Absolutely. right? I mean, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> that's probably the biggest threat I would imagine to you on a day to day basis. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, daily, daily, it's constant. It's constant. But, you know, the, right, being able to compartmentalize and sort of have that separation, although, but that's the yeah. problem, right? Like, it's funny. Yeah. On, on the one hand, commuting is one of the worst aspects of any profession, right? Having to drive really far to work. But I, there's got to be some kind of like, you know, time where you can just sort of veg out and decompress between yeah. when you leave whatever your job is mm-hmm. and when you get home so that you're yeah. not carrying it through the door, you know? Yeah. Some things that I do... Like I'm an avid runner. So I do that before, like usually before, or if there's a break in my day where I know that I can like take like an hour or so to like, just even if it's like my lunchtime, right. I will devote that to like doing some form of like physical exercise or activity, but that's kind of like my release. And it always has been like exercise has been like my sort of like balancer. But before I come home, Something really important that I do, and you know, everyone's into this mindfulness stuff lately, and I start to get on board with it. I'm a very big skeptic with certain things, which I think I just need, again, I'm like a scientist, so I need to test it out. I need to see if it works. <laughs> and then if it does, then I, then I continue it. So I've been trying more of like the mindfulness techniques before I come home because they miss you. And all I want to do is like, jump on you and like tell you about their day. And then another thing that they do is they release all of their emotions on you when you come home. And that's a good thing because then they're comfortable with doing that. But that's something I do before I get home. And even if I just sit in my like uh, driveway and do it for 10 minutes, that's what I do. No, I think it's great. It works. No, the, hi- the hippies are definitely pushing the mindfulness stuff real hard nowadays. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely, no, but it's, man. It, it's true. And like the, the mind-body connection, oh, you're killing me because I remember like, how many marathons yeah. have you run now? A, a few at least, uh, right? Uh, four. Oh my gosh. Four. I, four? Yeah, of, four. <clears throat> out of everything, I miss running the most. And, and I'm just, yeah. I think it's, I'm more scared to try to get back into it because yeah. I've got such a good you know, I've got such good momentum going personally right now with between yeah, the nutrition yeah, yeah. and the fitness and stuff. And like the last thing I want to do is derail it with, you know, a foot problem or a knee problem. I don't want to put that kind of energy right, right. out into the universe, but I remember, I mean, they call it a runner's high, right? Like, and that, that it's just such a great cathartic feeling that I, mm-hmm. I even bike riding, you know, I, I can, I just did like you a 35 bike a lot, mile. Yeah. I do. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's a different kind of feeling. It's, it's more freeing, but there was just something about running specifically that like the endorphin rush, maybe it's like reflexology, right? Maybe I just kept slapping the, the right part of the foot and uh, getting those little endorphin bursts. <laughs> um, but no, you, you, and it's true, right? With the kids, like I know for me, growing up in kind of like a volatile environment, like I Mm. am much more attuned to not being that way around the kids, you know? And like, there was one night recently where like, I had just come back from whatever it was. And I I went to the gym, I come right home, I go right to meal prepping, then I'm cooking, then I'm cleaning. I finally get like two minutes to eat and I come in and my daughter's like, I have two light bulbs out of my room. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. And I was just like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this right now. And I didn't blow up, but 
I wound up going in and apologizing for kind of like blowing her off later because I loved that it was almost 10 o'clock and she felt totally comfortable coming to me with a problem, you know, and something that she needed. And it can be enervating, especially when they're littler, like your kids' ages, where, you know, they're all emotions. They they don't. I I remember one time Timmy was like, God, like maybe two, two and a half. And he did something that was just so like crazy like i couldn't believe he did what he did and i snapped at him and i was like dude what were you thinking i was like dude where's your head and and he he just points at it and i was just like all right yeah you got me fair enough and like all all the frustration dissipated you know and and shout out to to you for you were the first person that ever visited him you uh when it was like the the first or second day in the hospital over on long island um manhasset there we go yeah, yeah, North Shore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. North Shore. Um, now it's called North Shore. Sorry. No, no, no. no. Uh, but it's true. And like, d- did I mention that we picked up a German Shepherd? No. Yeah. I mean, I saw the puppy. Oh, wait, wait. I saw this picture on your... Did I see it on your Facebook page? I might have. Did you just pull, post a picture of him or am I, am I thinking of someone? <laughs> no, no, no. It was me. Well, I was going to I was going to tell you that his, his name was Hans and he was out in the fields awesome. when we were in Bavaria and he misses what? his family. But no, no. Uh, yeah, no. Her, her name's she's uh, 13 weeks. Her name's Vendetta, which I'm so glad that. Oh, my gosh. See? That is a wonderful name. Well, thank you. See, uh, I, you just scored even extra points here because that was one of the names that I threw out there for, I thought it was a great unisex name. So I threw it out there for Sarah when Heather was pregnant yeah. with her. She, you know, it, it was shot down. But my, my line um, of thinking was there are certain names that I don't, I don't want to say that they're dweeby or nerdy or whatever, but like there's certain yeah. connotations for certain names. Right. And then there's of names course. at the other end of the spectrum, like Vendetta yeah. and Serpent I mean, and Thor. You know, I mean, honestly, I think with with those names, I mean, go bold. Right. With once. That, that's if you had Serpent and Thor or Serpent and Odin, which would be even better. Odin, you know, like the, the, the all, all father. <laughs> Do you know how? Oh, God. If, if you get a phone call home from the school, right, it's not going to be, oh, listen, we need you to come pick up Serpent and Odin. Uh, they, they got shoved into the lockers again and they're quite upset. No, no. Those are the kids that are smashing skulls. And you know what I mean? Like you, you just want to set them off on the right path. You know, I mean, like, I can't even imagine. So, I mean, when when I was pregnant with my second, who was a boy, you know, I, I toyed with some interesting German names. And my husband was like, what? And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I mean, like, you know, I don't remember what I, I, I think I, like, put out something. It was, like, very Germanic. I forgot what it exactly was. But I, and also there was a lot of Gaelic ones that I wanted to you know, I like, I like Colin, but then, you know, I was like walking around the house like, oh, we can call him Colin, you know? <laughs> and like, my husband was like, no, no. I'm like, Colin Sticko. And he's like, no. And I'm like, mm, okay, all right. And I'm like, how about like, uh, you know, Sven? Right. <laughs> he's like, Sven? And I'm like, yeah, make it real German. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is something to be said if you got a call home from school and and like the principal actually was like Odin. Um, well, he he's in the lockers right now. If he said it like that, or she said it like that, I mean, come on. Right. That's, that, awesome. that's what I'm saying. And and I I did have a list of unfortunate names too that I I didn't think oh. would would pass the test, but like. Just really, just think of it, right? Like interesting names for kids. Because, you know, now we live in an era where there's, yeah. there, there aren't many Johns and Michaels and, you know. No, no. It's, it's different. And so I had words, like, like you said, like that I thought would make for really memorable names. Like Moist would be a good one, right? <laughs> you go either way with Moist. Uh, smegma. 
Smegma has like oh, a, oh. that like that German quality to it, you know. It does. Um, it invokes something though. It invokes something guttural though. Oh, it does. Not it does uh, a little then, bit. I'm trying to think. I'm butchering it. It was like feucht or something like that in German. It, it means moist spot. Uh, and I got it from Magic Ooh. Mountain, either Death in Venice or Magic Mountain from Thomas Mann. But wow. I was just so tickled when uh, when I heard it. I was just like, all right, I'm going to earmark that for uh, for future name. I mean, maybe you could maybe you can name like a fish that. I mean, yeah, that that could work. I mean, we, you could. We haven't had luck with uh, with fish here, but no. But listen, Vendetta, I think, is the perfect name for this dog because she's so cute and you know seemingly innocent. I mean, she's a fucking terror because she's just of course. she's thirteen weeks and all teeth and claws and whatnot. But yeah. um, but uh, again, I like it. I, I think you know it's it's kind of badass. I do. I think it's great. And like, and then you know, once she gets older, she, gosh, you're such a Vendetta, right? Oh, and you know, I mean, you can just start. I mean, there are ways to get frustrations out on her name yeah. if need be well and, and listen yeah. as long as she stays toilet trained you know what i mean um um i'm happy with any of the other stuff because that's the only thing Absolutely. I, I i just i don't want to have to deal with it and, no no and, and and you know i mean so you actually had a a poo poo haiku a couple of weeks ago that i thought was <laughs> absolutely amazing and you, you know i'm a big fan of toilet humor right but i don't think i ever told I you know. why so I don't to- know why. But well, to- toilet I know humor. Why I am. Toilet humor makes me think it's it's like answering like a difficult multiple choice test. Yeah. Right. It's a process of yeah. elimination. Yeah. There it is. But um. But um. Ching. No. The but yeah. The the haikuing is uh is, is something else. So we'll we'll take a left turn here because I'm looking at my list of uh, of questions and stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. Actually, you know what? Screw it. I have a rapid fire section here, so I'm just going to fire off four quick questions yeah. here. All right. Favorite Billy Joel song? Piano Man. Favorite Chipmunk? Alvin? Favorite. But I don't wo- know if he's really my favorite. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> favorite English word? Oh. Huh. I'm, oh I'm partial to, to Petrichor. Or no, invest- there is one that I really like, and I'm like, oh my gosh. No, I was gonna tell you my favorite German word, but I'm gonna. Um, that was the next question. Well, actually, it was my, it was your favorite German concept because mine is Schadenfreude. Oh, mine is just Umgebung, which is like the neighborhood. Oh. Like neighborhood stuff, you know, like what's going on in your Umgebung. <laughs> oh, and and just like anything German, it just it's got that extra level and layer of uh, of insanity to it. Right, right, and you're just like, what the heck did she just say? And I'm like, Umgebung. I say it at work a lot. Anyway, well, and that's just it, right? Like, I, I, to be bilingual or multilingual, because I don't know how many more you've picked up. I'm sure you've got a little bit of Spanish and Latin. I don't or... know. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I, the things I've picked up, it's crazy. And like, I don't know if it's just an affinity in my brain, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I use both at work. And people just look at me oddly. It's okay. Well, so, so people are going to look at you oddly after this next uh, segment uh, because sure. I, one of the to give a throwback memory here just to see if you oh. remember this this incident do you remember helping me <laughs> to give my sister-in-law the clap what gonorrhea back in the oh, day wait wait was it from that like website yep yep no, and and well, i'm gonna hold out on the context as long as possible because i think that this is a really interesting topic and and this is the thing right like i didn't even know that it was possible to give yes. that to someone until you, you know, not, not only did you alert me to it, but like you almost yes. even helped to broker 
the, the transaction there. And I do. I mean, and for what it's worth, because just in case there's anybody from the boards that are listening, like I personally think this helped you uphold that hungry, hungry Hippocratic oath, right? Like absolutely, it, it was you were doing doing the work of the people here. You yes, brought joy to this woman's life. I did. And I did. I, I, I mean, uh, I never <laughs> dreamed of being able to, to give somebody that. And yeah. so, so I couldn't have done it without you. So I just wanted to say thank you for thank helping you. me to uh, get that gonorrhea over to my sister-in-law. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, and you're welcome. I, I, I would have, and that's the thing, like the, the cost was a little more than I was anticipating. Cause I once, right. you know, once you do something like that, it kind of fills yeah. your soul, you know, and it does. I was prepared to just <laughs> to give it to anybody and everybody. And I know, I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. It, but it was cost prohibitive. And this was before there was like Amazon prime day. They didn't have that Absolutely. kind of deal for that sort of thing, you know? No, um, no, no, no. But yeah, no. So I wasn't sure if you remembered that. But um, of course I do. How, that it, it it's something that's difficult to forget. Uh, it it kind of burns it kind of burns itself into your uh, your recollection there. Um, but no, j- just to get on back on track, right? So one of the yeah. the aspects of this uh, of your profession specifically that I'm mm-hmm. fascinated by is something yeah. that I've brought up like ad nauseum in the last few episodes, even non medical related ones. It bothers yeah. me to think that when we were kids, if we were asked to draw a doctor and a nurse. I'm convinced that we would have drawn a male doctor and a female nurse. And there's different fields of study where I think it skews more one way or the other. But in, I guess, I guess you're in such a very specific subset of medicine, but I'm, I'm thinking of it more from the pathology and the research side. Do you feel like women are well represented in the field? Is it still male dominated? Like what's, what's sort of the breakdown there based on your experience? So, just in general, I think medicine now is, if we look at the statistics, it's either pretty evenly spaced between medical school admissions, or it's actually a little bit more skewed towards women now. And that's happened, that's evolved over the, like, the last five years or so. So in, in my field in particular, I have to say, since I have been even training in pathology, the majority of my attendings and teachers have been women. And my mentors have solely been women pathologists which to me coming into a field that, you know, medicine is notorious for being very strenuous and it's not always certain fields are not always kind to a woman trying to have a family and being able to balance that. So pathology, or at least where, you know, in the field I work, it's predominantly women, I would say. In humanopathology, the the last institution in which I worked, uh, it was, we had one male in our department. The rest were female, and my division head at the time was a female. So I had some great people to look up towards to sort of get a sense of what you know what this career was going to be like. And I, I knew from the get go that it was the right way for me to go. The work life balance. Now people will tell you that oh you know that's that's not a real thing. I, I believe it can be achieved more so in my field. I think that as long as you understand what things need to get done at what time. And, you know, obviously if you're on call, you're on call. But I do think that with the innovation of AI and with looking at slides virtually and doing a lot of things now, you know, COVID did some bad things, but it also did some good things for pathology and also medicine. 
you know, I can look at things with someone from, you know, the city part of Sinai, or I can look at things, you know, in another country on the internet, you know, with them via like a, a platform. So I think the flexibility is there for us, which is really, really important. Yeah. And it's also the support too, right? And, and the mod- people who are normal and support. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and the, the mentoring and the modeling, I think I, that's yeah. sort of what I wanted to get to by yeah. having these interviews and stuff is to give voice to someone who actually yeah. does it. Like I think representation is important mm-hmm. for literally anyone. Like it doesn't matter yeah. what qualifier you want to use or what you identify as or with having someone who can inspire you because they are like you in one way or another, I think is important. Yeah. And so that's, mm-hmm. I, I can only imagine that that really helped to spur you on to where you are yeah. and to wherever, where you're heading next in terms of, you know, whether it's the research part or, or just whatever it right. happens to be. The, yeah. the AI aspect of it's really interesting too, right? Because yeah. it's something that has come up in a couple of different topics here, mostly music related and stuff. But the, I can imagine from the medical standpoint, it has to help yeah. because Computing power has, I mean, Jesus, can you, do you remember the computers that we had in elementary school? Like the little oh Apple gosh, ones please. or whatever? It was, it's really funny. <laughs> um, it's, it's just, I think yeah. I still have mine somewhere in like my attic. Playing and Oregon. I, I kid you not. I kid you not. Yeah. Oh, I know, Dad. It, it, we had Oregon Trail on the freaking floppy oh disks. Gosh. Um, oh, gosh. Those were the best. Kids these days. No, but like in terms kids of. Like, it's crazy that, like, the first iPhone had more computing power in it than the entirety of the space shuttle, not space shuttle, the, the spacecraft that, you know, went to the moon. Uh, That's it's, crazy. It's just, it's unbelievable. And so, you know, artificial intelligence and then obviously the increases in computing power, I would hope would speed certain things up, right? Because part of the limitation, I would imagine, especially where cancer research is concerned, yeah. is just the available power for people to, to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to use the word manpower, but you know, in terms of just sheer right. bodies working on it. And so when you can kind of offload that to uh, software or a program that can, you know, work more efficiently yeah. and, and quickly, I think that's got to be something to be hopeful for in, in the next 10 or 15 years in your field. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to say, I think that there's always, there always, I, I hope, I think there should always be a, a need for the human bodies, right? Like the people who are behind everything. But I think that the we have to change with the changing times too. And I think it's I think when it's utilized in the right way, it can be super helpful. The speed of diagnoses can go up. We can now do so many things with those platforms. Like look at things molecularly, look at things on a genomic level. I mean, it's it's going to be crazy. And I think it's really. Again, we have to do everything in a in a very stepwise fashion. I still think we do, you know, and I think with that learning, we'll, with those steps will come like a greater understanding for our disease process. So I'm excited about it, you know, but I think that, you know, we'll always have a place in, in that field, as you, you know, for human bodies, you know what I mean? Like pathologists. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, I think we need it. It's so exciting yeah. for me to hear you say that and to hear, <clears throat> to hear the excitement in your voice talking about it yeah. because... And, and listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with family medicine or, or anything no, that you were doing before. No. But with all due respect, you I've said this like four times on different episodes, like you are the smartest woman that I've ever met. And for <laughs> your intellect to be not to be furthered and to be utilized in something like this research. And, you know, I know it sounds like you're doing more, you know, people managing and, and just doing a lot more than just Which that. Which is very important. And I, I like honestly, like, People managing and like understanding how people work with you and for you, I think that's more important because 
I mean, I can, I can study whatever I want and, you know, I can learn that material, but like, you need to have people who support your endeavors and you need to be able to work with those people in a positive light. And teamwork is huge. Right. Teamwork makes the dream work. No, I had to, I had to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, there's always room for slogans here. Absolutely. No, but it, um, but it makes sense yeah. because right. So your your emotional IQ has always been through the roof too, right? And, and I think that's something that not that I would consider myself successful in any sense, right? But no, you, where no, you, you 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 have that too, my friend. Right. Anyway. Uh, thank you. No, and and that's why, like, I think that's why whatever I've done, I've been more or less successful in. I, yeah. I would attribute it to that more than anything else, because when you understand people and their motivations, how to motivate them, how to handle, yeah. you know, different situations, being flexible, whatever field yeah. you're in, that's really going to benefit everybody who's involved. But for what you're doing specifically, something that's really intensive and, you know, maybe you're, yeah. in, again, in those close quarters, fending off those friggin' vampires. Vampires uh, every day. Yeah, it's, you know, they, they come from yep. Bavaria. And, and again, right, yep. if... If there is a robot uprising, it will start with the uh, the sex robots in Germany, maybe Austria. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, but no, it, it is. It's incredibly important, and I'm happy to hear you bring that up as a topic because yeah. that's one of the the things too, right? Like, I like to hear about like, well, what is it like? And I do want to ask in terms of like your scheduling, right? Like, what what the hours, yeah. the days are like. But um, in terms of the job itself, like, I think that's something that's so overlooked and like you, yeah. i guess the stereotype is thinking of like bedside manner right with a doctor yeah, in a hospital yeah, or whatever yeah. and and that's part of it but then you know that doctor also has to know how to work with the staff has to know how yeah. to do all these other things and so it's cool to hear you recognize that and i'm, I'm sure the people who work with you you know appreciate your efforts in that regard and yeah. before i ask about the scheduling thing the other thing i wanted to say too something that i really have always respected about you is your immense confidence and not not in a, in a brash you know overconfident way but mm. you have always been a, a clear leader you're somebody who inspires people to follow you i think Thank you. and no and so i think that in a field like this and again not yeah. to draw like the the sex line the gender yeah. line but oh. it, you know it's very easy for you know men to be dismissive of women in you know whatever whether yeah. it's finance or, or the sciences or the arts whatever i think when you come in demanding that respect and commanding you know the, the people it, again it inspires people to follow you and i think it makes the whole process that much easier and smoother even though it's not easy yeah. to do at all clearly no i i have to agree with you like for some reason i've never me going into medicine i've i've never had a fear of this is weird i've never really had like a fear of that those gender lines whenever i would work with a male i'd be like well it doesn't it you know, I have, I've had male chiefs, I've had male bosses, you know, I've had female bosses. And I look at how everyone handles different situations. I think over like the past, I don't know, I've been in medical school, what, since 2011 or something. <laughs> I've been in school for medicine since 2011. Oh my then, God. Oh my God. Anyway, I'm not in school anymore. Anyway. So, um, but it's a, anyway, I'm not going to go into constant learning. But I think that through those like years, you see how other people handle certain situations and then you learn from that. You pick the things that you really like and you pick the personalities that like, oh, yeah, this jives with me. And, you know, I will have to tell you, I had a I had a mentor in Stony Brook when I did Heme Pass. I loved her. Like, I thought she was amazing. And 
just the way she always handled herself and she did heme path and she did transfusion medicine. And I just, I just wanted to emulate all like most of her qualities and she knows who she is if she happens to listen to this. So I don't even have to give her a name. So, I mean, that was the woman that really inspired, started to inspire me, but not only like, you know, I've always found that the relationships that you make along the way are more important than like anything uh, I really feel. And the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't have to be another clinician. The more important people are the people who are like in the lab for me, doing the analyzing, working on the machines, supervising over all those things, making sure the quality is good. That's the most important part. That's my foundation. You know, those are the people that make my job pleasant, work well. It makes the lab hum. It's not me, you know, but I recognize that. And I know that that's the most, you know, I have to understand the person I'm working with. Like, is this person, does she go and have two other jobs? Does this person have three kids at home? And this is all she's thinking about. Does this guy have a, you know, what's going on with this man who's running my chemistry machines or whatever? That's something you really have to understand. And you can understand all you want about how to get a proper sodium level to be resulted. But if you don't understand the person who's running that, then, oh, my God, it's like a, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Oh, there it is. It, it, it took a f- 50 minutes for it to, to pop out. But there it is. I always get one. Oh, my God. <laughs> No, because again, some of the other guests that I've had were born and raised New Jerseyans, and I I I always smirked when there was a coffee or yeah, one of those kinds of things that uh that popped out. But no, so oh man, so what you said I think is really the crux of being successful, a successful member of society, a citizen of the world, however you want to look at it, because. It takes a little bit of extra work, but why I think I've excelled in my role as a parent, as a teacher, or just in general is because I take the extra step not to react right away, but to Mm -hmm. assess, right? And so if someone is shitty, right, like if there's something going on, I don't just brush it off and say, oh, maybe they're having a bad day. Like I try to do exactly what you said, right? Like, okay, I know this about this person, so maybe it has something to do with that. Or if I don't know them, rather than just writing them off as, you know, being nasty or, you know, difficult or whatever, you put in the extra time to to get to know them. And what you were saying too, like when I was speaking with um, Christine from ProCare, shout out again to ProCare, I'm I'm the Humpty Dumpty over there. So they're always putting me back together. But part of what makes that place so successful and why so many people want to go back there is that it's from the top down. So Pete runs it in such a way where, you know, obviously the, the therapists all know their stuff. They're all great people. They're great with the patients. But it's the support staff too that again keep the place humming, right? You know whether they're yeah. they're cleaning down the tables, they're setting up. Like if I have to do, you know, something for my back, and I'm doing an exercise with like a resistance band, the next thing I know, by the time I get back to the table, the next three tools that I need are already set up, you know. And it's just yeah. again, when you have an appreciation for those types of people and the things that they're doing, I think it really helps when you're, you know, uh, higher up, whether it's management or whatever you want to consider it. And so I think that's really smart. And what, what qualities would you say are important? Uh, So we've, we've discussed a couple already, right. In terms of being like a people person, but what else would you say for the aspiring pathologist, right? If there's a girl Mm. in high school, clearly I'm assuming that you took either AP bio or AP chem or something to that effect. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> right. And then, well, you know, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. No, so I, I guess I'm curious in terms of 
what educational path would you recommend for someone to get into the the field that you're in? And then what qualities would you say are hallmarks of a successful, I don't want to say student, but graduate of the program and then professional? Yeah. So I think, so first off, you know, I don't necessarily think you have to like go gung-ho into science right away. I don't, because I think people are still, you know, they still explore that until, you know, they get to like maybe mid-level college. So, you know, you could do something else and then come back to do a post back. So I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fault that, but if you're going to do it a traditional way, then usually what you want to do is you want to focus more on the sciences. Um, but, you know, have something else there with you. Don't just do like straight up science, have something else that's going to like help you navigate. Right. Because what I see lately is we have really, really very intelligent student doctors, but you have to know how to navigate people. And that's something that is really a necessity in pathology. People think that pathologists don't talk. It's the exact opposite. We have to be a great communicator on paper and we have to be a great communicator to clinicians or else it doesn't work. And so if you want to be a pathologist, it is necessary not only to have like a great handle on, you know, pathobiology, pathophysiology, that's cool. That's great. But know yourself like so if you are good at english or if you're good at like art don't give that up that's going to help you in path it'll help you in other fields too but i've seen particularly in my field the other thing is you know do something other than study all the time you know right you will learn the information and so as you're going along your life don't just stop to just all you do is just study 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 do something you're passionate about besides that you know take up a hobby, play music, run, exercise, take up yoga, something, because it's a long haul and you have to have patience. So patience is number one. Number two, make sure you're doing something that's, you know, makes you a human being and, you know, which would be like, you know, hone in on those communication skills. And then again, a really, really important, I think an important thing that people miss with even being a doctor is you have to have not just a ton of empathy, but you have to, um, you have to really have like just understanding. And I mean that in the general term, understanding with yourself and understanding with the people that you are going to help and work with, because those are traits that can be built upon. And you want to be a leader. If you want to be a leader, awesome. But if you want to be a really fine physician, you have to like build those, those things up again. Knowledge will come with practice. Right. That's so, what it does. You, yeah. So. And, and so basically, the, to, to sum that up, you're saying if you yeah. want to be a good doctor, you have to have patience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's how you did there. I picked up on yeah, that. Yeah. I no. Did, yeah. I, I think patience is, that seems yeah. to keep coming up in these different yeah. uh, areas. And, but you, you, something you said just resonated with me. One of yeah. the jobs that I had when I was at Baruch, it was more to help out uh, a music professor yeah. that I was friends with was I would proctor her exams for her. And I remember mm-hmm. one time because it was, you know, the general music course that everybody has to take. Yeah. She got a test back and the kid wrote a really nasty message at the top and was like, I don't, I'm here. For, I'm at Baruch for finance. I don't see the point and being in a music class, that's not going to help me, you know, learn how to trade futures, something stupid like that. And the professor was crushed. I was more crushed for that kid because he clearly was missing the bigger picture. Like the Uh most, the most important things 
in, in terms of my success professionally had nothing to do with the X's and O's of whatever the job was or whatever the circumstance was. Right. It was my people skills. It was being able to discuss a variety of topics eloquently enough that, you know, I, I made a connection with those people. And right. I think that's so, it, it's such an overlooked thing, especially when you get to sort of the loftier academic, yeah. the loftier arenas of um, yeah. academia, right? Where like, it's the super ultra smart kids. Like the funny thing is my SAT scores for the first year of the Macaulay Honors program wouldn't have gotten me in even even two or three years later, right? So this, right. the average standard, the GPA, you know, that started to creep up to uh, to Ivy League levels. We, we were already at Ivy levels, but I mean, like, the really, like, yeah, top yeah. tier, like, Princeton levels and stuff. But what I feel yeah. was kind of lost, at least for, you know, uh, a few of the cohorts coming in, was the social aspect. And yeah. Yeah. not, uh, uh, this is, it's really too broad of a brush to, to, to paint with here. But a lot of times, like, the hyper-intelligent people lack some sort of social adroitness right where they're not right. as good at expressing themselves or they're not as interested in other things like some of them like you said all they do is study and i think yeah. it's a detriment not just in a professional setting but just in life in general there's just so much yeah. out there to explore to be interested in and yeah. to limit yourself just to a professional field whatever it happens to be I, I don't know i just think it's you're selling yourself short and you're losing out on really the more important aspects of life right no and that's what i say to my residents too like I'm like, guys, like, I'm like, I really appreciate that you want to sit here and learn from me. I said, but like, and the first thing I ask them when they come in, I'm like, so what do you do for fun? Because like, I want to know who they are as a person. I know that they're going to be able to do whatever they need to do to pass their boards and whatever. That's why they're here, right? You're not here for that. You're not here for any other reason. I said, but like, I need to know who you are as a person because I also need to tailor how I talk to you. I need to tailor how I teach you. You know, I need to know who you are. So that's really important. So I, I tell my I tell my my residents now all this like almost daily. I'm like harping it. I'm like, okay, we're done here, go take a walk. They're like looking at me like I'm like nuts. I'm like, go take a break. I get it. Like I get those I get the old school thing too, when you know, we used to stay in the hospital for like twenty four hours. I was part of that too when I was training. And as a med, med student, I used to, you know, do the uh, overnight calls and stuff like that. There's something to say about that, too. I'm not saying that. But um, well, clearly your childhood prepared you for that. Right. All those camp outs yeah. in the backyard with Mimi. Like, that's what you were preparing Absolutely. for. I understand now. Like well, uh, wilderness in Queens. <laughs> I mean, th there are a lot of trees. I know we, we have the one tree that grew in Brooklyn, but you guys had more out there. I do. Yeah. Yeah. We have we have like shrubs. Oh, now, well, that's because, see, but now you've gone east of Queens, right? So now you're in, right, because aren't you out on the island? I am. You know what? I'm looking at a shrub right now. That's maybe why I saw, why I said shrub. You yeah. know those trees that used to, like, like molt and, like, drop everything on, like, the ground and they turn brown and then your mother would be like, darn it, I missed it. Yeah. You know, and, like, she would just be like, I can't. <gasps> it's just, they all look disgusting and i'm like she's i'm like okay mom breathe breathe it's okay but they're gross and they're gonna leave a stain it, it's like <laughs> arboreal eczema right or psoriasis maybe i don't know whatever yes sir yeah yeah <laughs> but um well, yeah yeah no and i think that's such a great I don't know. It's such an inspiring way to look at things because yeah. it's such a demanding field 
you mm-hmm. know, intellectually and, and whatnot. Like you need to be able to have that offset, right? Have the yeah. off switch specifically, because if you don't, I would imagine you would burn out much more quickly than in, you know, maybe any other job or any other field. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the, um, the burnout level or the burnout realization now is very high. So burnout can come in a lot of forms and I will tell you, I personally almost suffered from it. So there's a burnout on an emotional level, there's burnout on social levels, and then there's just a work burnout, like the volume of work. And all those things have to come into account, but you have to figure out which one it is. So, you know, and burnout is a real thing and every, every profession feels it. It's just no one, I feel like not a lot of people want to speak openly about it. And that's something else that needs to be turned around. And burnout's real and burnout happens and you don't even know it. No. And that's the, that's the scary part because it does, it just creeps up on you out of nowhere. It masks itself as just, you know, ordinary fatigue and whatnot. But I think a lot of that stems from an inability to maintain a balance in life. Again, not to harken back to the same point, but I feel like, and I also feel like it's a necessary point, right? So I actually, this is all part of my personal metamorphosis that's been happening since, uh, turning 40, which by the way, good luck with that in October. Uh, thank you. Joining the club. Um, (laughs) But no, but like, I can't believe that anyway. Yeah. So I, I started taking uh, voice lessons finally for, for singing. Cool. And it was so it's something that I've been terrified of doing for like 25 years or whatever. So I finally yeah. decided to take the plunge. And it was, it's a cool experience because I'm forcing myself out of my comfort yeah. zone. Right. And, right. you know, in speaking with the, the, the teacher, she's, she's much younger. She's like 20 two or 23 or whatever. Yeah. And so she was talking about like kind of having that experience of like, you know, reaching a point where she didn't think she was cut out to do music and to do all this stuff. And she was considering like joining the army or, or whatever. Like, and I, I think that it's just a necessary step in our personal evolutions to kind yeah. of hit that wall. And then, you know, how you rebound from that, I think is really what matters. So yeah. I would like to think most people have the tenacity to you know, forge ahead, even if you need to course correct and adjust things, you know, versus just right. sort of turning tail and going home. But right. in terms of burnout specifically, like, I really think that the biggest part of it, or, or at least a way to stave it off for as long as you can, is just having that balance between work, yeah. between home, between your personal stuff. That's the other thing, too. Like, as a mom, have you found it difficult to carve out time just for you to do the things that you want to do, whether it's running or, you know, you're haikuing, whatever it happens to be. <laughs> Your German so, raps. Um, my German raps, whatever it is. Um, German raps daily. Um, so I just take time to rap. So I have to say, I have a very supportive family structure. So I have a husband who, I mean, if it wasn't for him, I think, uh, you know, if it wasn't for him and, and like how he kind of also holds me up, I don't think that I would be as stable as I am. (laughs) So he, you know, we make sure like we have a constant communication screen, like stream going on. So, you know, if I need that time, like he's very aware of it. So he, that is provided. Like it's, it's just like a, it just fits into our day, like how we run our, our ship. You know what I mean? So that's something else that is very important. I think, you know, if you have that support system, it, it makes life life. Right. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I do. And it's, you know, and I, I'm not very, I'm not afraid to be like, dude, I need an hour. I'm like overstimulated right now. Okay. <laughs> like, 
peace, you know? So like that, that makes a big, cause we have an understanding about our levels of like where we are, but he, he knows who I am as a person. So he knows when those levels are like off, you know what I mean? Right. And now so. is, is he, I mean, I don't like the whole type A, type B, you know, eh. whatever thing, eh. but you, you've always struck me as, you know, the alpha type A, where does he uh-huh. fall with that? Is, is he also that type? Cause I could see him being more of a, a, a balancing, complimenting mm. presence, or He's is not. he just as intense as you no. are? No, no. So that's the thing. Like he's, so he's intense with his work, but he has this amazing ability to not show that at home. Oh, that's cool. So like he is, I think he's more of the softer. Strangely enough, being a surgeon, people always think that archetype is very, it comes with a different personality type. I think he is that type, but he doesn't show that so much with me. He's very that way at work. So, well, that, so that was the vibe um, that I yeah. got from, yeah. from him like way back in the day, like of yeah, being yeah. that like calming, like, yeah. y- again, you and I are like two jackrabbits, you know, yeah. careening around like, you know, me, 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 me. exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and I felt like he had more of that, like balancing energy sort of thing. Yeah. But, and, and yeah. speaking of like the other night too, to, you said like, you need to cut out an hour, carve out an hour or whatever. Like, so the other night. I think it was the same night that I snapped at Sarah about the the light bulbs. I wound up just yeah. sitting outside in the yard for an hour. Like I was outside and I was like, I just want to stay here. Like it was yeah. a really nice night. The, yeah. It was nice and quiet. The stars were coming out. It was just a yeah. really good way to sort of like veg. It wasn't something I planned on doing. It just sort of happened. Sure. And it was so re- recharging, you know? And, and that's, I guess that's the other caveat that I would throw out there too in terms of those offsetting activities, pursuits, whatever it is, like they yeah. do still need to be positive and constructive, right? Like you can't, right. you can't be going to the bar and getting bombed, you know, no. as your, your decompression or, you know, no. whatever it happens. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. And like, you know, that's, that's a, that's a whole other thing. I'm not even going to get into that, but yeah, like it has to be constructive. It has to be like something that's going to facilitate positivity in like your, in your being. So yeah. Well, yeah. Now, so I, I've got to ask that, right? Because you, there's nothing wrong with it in moderation, right? But like, I, no, I again, I feel like no, it's a no, matter no, of no, 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 no but no, it's no, a matter no. of just kind of like vegging out, or especially like listening yeah. to music. What What is the go to adult beverage for you or in your household? Oh, Jesus! Oh my God! I haven't even thought about that. You know, like I will have to say, it's more of think for a minute, like what it would actually be. It would be more of like a glass of wine. Right. That I don't finish. And then I get yelled at for not finishing it and opening up like a $35 bottle of wine. Right. I do this notoriously because then I'll be like, I'm tired. <laughs> like, and I have like this shut off switch. So I'll start like drinking wine, enjoying it in the backyard. And then I'm like, I need to go to sleep. And it's like 840. And right. I'm like, I'm going to bed. Bye. Right. And there goes the wine. No. And that's my problem too. Is it like. Might be. Uh, for for as monogamous a person as I am in general, when it comes to like the adult beverage side, oh my god, it's it's polygamy. Like you wouldn't believe. Like I have so many bottles of whiskey that are like half empty, because just because I want to try new stuff, and then it's like, well, I've yeah. tried it, so now you can now you can play nice with the rest of the uh, abandoned toys. Absolutely, you know, it's it's like that Toy Story. What is that? That Toy Story uh, part of Toy Story One. Oh yeah, with I was Sid, in the right. island of Mist. Yeah. 
Misfit Toys by, I don't know if that's actually the right movie now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Island of Misfit Toys, isn't that Rudolph? Yes, that was Rudolph. I, I almost did the same thing because I was like Sid in the Island of Misfit Toys, right? He, he had his own, yeah. you know, group of, of craziness there. No, well, right? and it's, it's such a weird adjustment for me recently because now there's more food than beer in the fridge, which is a positive thing, right? But even when there was like two shelves dedicated to it, uh, you know, somebody said something once and I was like, well, listen, isn't it better to have a, a refrigerator filled with, you know, unopened beers than a recycle can filled with empty bottles? Like that's, you know, absolutely. it's about yeah. pacing it and keeping it slow. But um, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, So just to close out then in terms of yeah. your trajectory for the next like five or 10 years do you have any specific goals that you're now working towards or you know other uh, areas you may want to branch out into i know you said you're done with your you know done with being in school but do you see anything else Uh, that you may pursue in that regard too yeah yeah no that's actually a really good question like so i've always thought whether or not i was going to do like because i'm because i'm branching out into the field i am it's like the subsection of the field I'm in now. I was probably thinking about doing more business things, but business more for like the lab. So, you know, I dabble in a lot of different courses and stuff, but I've been focusing like towards like business aspect, managerial things now, because, you know, you always want to keep up on like new techniques and, you know, data that they have out there. But yeah, I think that's where it's going to like sort of cap out because, I think that would be more beneficial to like where my role now and where that's my role is going to be in like probably the next five to 10 years. So, yeah, I mean, it it sounds like you've carved out an incredible path for yourself through this point. And I can imagine that it's just going to continue moving forward. You know, I hope so. (laughs) I mean, I hope so. It's going to, it's going to be fun. It's fun. And it should be. And that's the best part of it is you're helping people. You're doing something worth incredibly worthwhile. That sounds like it keeps you stimulated and active. And, you know, for what it's worth, I think you guys are both setting such an incredible example for your kids professionally, but also in maintaining that balance and supporting them. It's not easy, right? Again, we mentioned the hat wearing, you you must be an octopus, part octopus too, right? To be able to take them all off and put them back on. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of have to be to, to excel in in anything, but, uh, you know, I, I'm excited, you know, your daughter, it it was, it's Amelia. Who's the artist, right? Sending you those pictures or. Oh yeah. Amelia. Oh my gosh. Yes. She's the artist. She's like the very, um, she's an artist. She's a, oh my gosh. She's, she's incredible. That girl, that girl's incredible with, you know, just her, I don't know. Like she's artist. She's like a, an actress. I, I can't, I can't. And she's, you know, she's highly, you know, I, she's like highly capable. So it's awesome. I well, mean, both my kids are, but you know, and, and that's one of the, 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 age. the funny things, right? Like just to kind of jump back to the inspiration and in, in nature versus nurture, right? Like my parents are both, you know, intelligent people, uh, but schooling wise, you know, they didn't yeah. go much further than high school. They didn't particularly excel yeah. there. And so I was like an anomaly kind of coming through, you know, doing as well as I did going through it. I loved school. I took to it, you know, and so I didn't know that was one of my fears having kids was I never needed like there came a point where it was some kind of math thing. And my parents were like, yep, we can't help you. You've officially passed us. Uh, Good luck with the rest of your schooling experience. And I was like, oh, shit, like what's going to happen with my kids? Like if if they struggle, if they're not doing well, because I was so internally motivated, I didn't need anybody to I, I needed help. I remember especially with like algebra learning it, you know, in in, in sixth grade. But there came yeah. a point where motivationally wise, like 
if I shit the bed on a test, I was, I was the one that was on my ass for the next one. You know, I, I drove myself to it and it's been a nice experience so far to see how, you know, Heather and I, Heather was also the same way in in terms of school. So the two of us, we have three kids who love it even more and they're excelling beyond even where either of us were. And so I'm sure that's going to be the same experience with your kids. And it's exciting to kind of think like looking at, looking at what you were able to do for yourself, you know, uh, surviving the mean streets of Maspeth, right. And all those, uh, games of Frogger, um, you know, they have a different experience. And that, that's a whole conversation for a whole separate topic is oh, yeah. th- their experience, what we're, what we're providing for them in terms of their upbringing versus what we had. But I know for me, I'm filled with excitement when I look at my kids' academic success and, and their curiosity yeah. for exploring the world. And, and like you were saying with your daughter, like just being a fan of life, you know, and taking yeah. it for what it's worth and stuff. And that is, I think, a big testament to you and Charles. And again, like being supportive there and being present for them and stuff. And so they're both lucky to have you guys uh, as your <clears throat> patients and, and coworkers are. And me too. I really appreciate you coming on today. This was so much fun. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it inspired some people who were listening because uh, it inspired me as as any conversation with you does. Um, oh, thank you. I hope it inspires someone out there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Yeah, if, if for nothing else, you know, uh, the, the the gonorrhea story definitely hit home, I'm sure, with a lot of people it, that resonated. I mean, they're probably confused right now. Well, they'll, they'll have to look for the context in the comments. We'll see if, uh, if I get they'll any engagement on that. Because, yeah, because, like, I mean, I'm like, no, they may not appreciate you know, the fluff of it all. So that's, and you know, I was just going to say, I was surprised at the texture of it, to be honest. And it it was not, it wasn't the color that I thought it would be, but that's, that's one of those surprising factors. (laughs) I mean, and I, I, there is no better jumping off point to, uh, to wrap it up with than that. Um, so thank you so much, Kristen, chief of clinical pathology at Mount Sinai South Nassau hospital for spending all this time with me today, chatting. This was a blast. Uh, if you ever want to come on again, let me know. We, I'm sure there's a limitless topics we can explore and amuse ourselves with. Endless, my friend. Endless. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for your time today. And thank you everybody who's listening wherever and whenever you are.